1: Welcome back to Saved by the Bellini, the podcast. Uh, My name is John DeBerry, and this is a behind-the-scenes look at my cocktail book, Saved by the Bellini, uh, which is a love letter to the 90s, as told through a bunch of cocktail recipes. And this is the podcast where I'm going to be exploring... Uh, the various underpinnings and influences on this book um, and these people can be either directly involved or sort of more tangentially influenced on the book and this next interview is maybe no offense to the other people who I interviewed but this is one of my most fa- my favorite interviews of this uh, of this whole series uh, it's with uh, an artist named Mel Chin uh, who is a conceptual artist his CV is so long. I printed it out here to look at it to read it over, but it would be like 20 minutes long. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to let the interview speak for itself. But basically, um, this guy was instrumental in a conceptual art project in the 90s called um, In the Name of the Place, which was a, basically, they used Melrose Place as a conceptual art setting, and it's just so cool. Uh, how this happened, how this came together. And in the, in the book, in say by the Bellini, I have a cocktail that references Melrose Place and it references this art project and it's really cool. And I'm not going to give any, any of it away because this guy just does a great job of describing this project, uh, for himself. And so I will let you listen to it right now. Cheers. So I guess I I really don't want to, um, beat around the bush anymore. I'm just, I'm so curious to hear about this whole project. So tell me about this project that you undertook, uh, with Melrose Place.
3: Well, it occurred to me, I was, back in the 90s, I was asked to participate in an exhibition with the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Los Angeles. And the curatorial imperative was to make it about L.A. some way, you know. And uh, yet, maybe outside the museum. So it was a stab at something different. Um, So, um, I was... Experimenting what that could be back and forth with a whole cast of, of different artists that were part of this group show called Uncommon Sense. And, you know, it, we, we're coming to a lot of dead ends about what to do. And I was at the time, I was the, uh, the Lamar Dodd Chair, a professorial chair in Athens, Georgia. Simultaneously, I was a Cal Arts or California arts, you know, uh, art school uh, scholar in residence. So flying back and forth, I remember looking down from the window at night, and maybe it might have been over Kansas, and I said, you know, L.A. is in the air. It's in microwave transmissions throughout the entire United States. And so when I landed, I, you know, I I think my wife was just scrolling through. We didn't watch much tv but there was this huge blonde head in the way and uh, i said who is that and she said oh i think her name is heather locklear and as soon as she moved her head i saw a painting on the wall and i said wow that's the place that's where we need to go because um uh, i had been working on very i'm a conceptual artist and I had been working on these ideas about how to insert within society meaningful conversations. And I even postulated this idea of being uh, looking at the devastation of HIV in New York where I was living as well as uh, the political conditions at the time. Uh, I was looking at these devastating consequences of viral introductions of ideas and military covert operations. I said, what if they were used to do good or to do something different? In other words, not the HFA or virus itself or the Sniper, but the concept of the methodologies of inserting within a host, let's say, information that could be important to the survival of ideas. I mean, it's a complicated way of saying it, but uh, then when I saw this Melrose Place, possibility at the existing gallery, I said, this will be the proper host. The host with the most, because the most, it has the most outreach in terms of prime time television and all the essential things. But how to get in was the idea, okay? Uh, I, I knew it couldn't be my work. I, I didn't want to end up being the artist that just did work at Melrose Place, you see. I said, it could be a collective. Uh, with all these different um, uh, non hierarchical sh- uh, capacity to create ideas, why television? because at the time it's just like the internet now it 's uh, usually a soap opera is there to sell soap i mean that 's why it was called that or a product <laughs> you know and but then I said, you know but a person like Aaron Spelling, these soap operas shaped the American imagination for a whole generation of of consumption of things. I said, what about the consumption of ideas? What about uh, this, basically, it's about, you know, Melrose Place, as you might have remembered, was about people screwing each other and yeah. maybe screwing <laughs> each other over, you know? Right. There was a lot of that back and forth. <laughs> yeah. but, but, the, but the overall thing, thing about it was that that would be the proper place, because it kind of frames what is American. You know, I think when you look at the outreach of these syndicated shows, the ideas that the world has about Americans can be shaped by the very shows that they watch, you see. And so it was an opportunity to insert within this, uh, uh, this show these ideas, con- conceptual ideas about politics, about uh, uh, feminist ideology things that were in the, the, the conversation and arts of the time. And I had all these fancy ideas. I, I'm sorry it's so long. I'm, I'm trying to explain all this.
1: No, this is fascinating. Like, Don't stop
3: talking. It, it becomes, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it was like, I, I was just coining phrases like the Abbey Road effect, you know, like, you know, how rumors can last a long time, like this Beatles album cover with the only one, uh, Living still, just Ringo and Paul, right? (laughs) But people thought Paul was dead because he was barefoot. I said, that's a a rumor that's not founded in anything other than what we have now is like conspiracy theory or popular culture. And I was thinking, what if the things we insert that people can, fans could absorb were meaningful in their conversation? Then there's a chance for this thing that is there, the soap opera is there to sell you soap, because it also embedded within it these possibilities of thought and conversation. And it's very important to not think of us, this whole uh, gala committee we became called, uh, was stood for Georgia and Los Angeles, you know, committee. And we. it was important not to say we're doing it subversively. That's a, always an attitude. They snuck one in, you know. No, we worked actually our way up into... Not only working with Deborah Siegel, which was my first introduction to it, to the show by her putting things on, it moved into the writers and producers.
1: Is Deborah Siegel was the production designer. Or?
3: Yeah, she was the set decorator. You know, do, like like a spy mission, you have to find out uh, <laughs> where the host exists, and so I, I went to all the fan magazines at the stands, wow. and I found out her name. You know, and since I was sponsored uh, by the universities as well as a grant actually from the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, it was an attempt because I was about inserting something meaningful, right? At this new, it was a brand new concept. And uh, I remember doing my proper research, finding Deborah and I was there in California and it, it made sense because Cal Arts, the, the institution was closed about uh, in Santa Clarita about you know, five minutes away from the studio. is all being set into order, right? Possibilities. And we offered just to make the artwork Mm. for free. We weren't paid by Melrose Place and we didn't want to be paid by Melrose Place. The idea was to have a free reign of ideas and that we could submit things and they could choose not to include them or include them. And luckily it, it became this relationship built on trust. So It it was, it moved all the way into making big ideas, like we noticed that Morrow's Place had Mm -hmm. the Shooter's Bar, and we said, well, we can redo the whole bar uh, with this idea of the history of alcohol in America. And we we arranged the glasses according to levels of consumption from the 1600s to, you know, it was a complicated levels of engagement, you know. Uh, D&D advertising. Uh, our version of that was death and destruction. <laughs> so we did paintings of places where uh, there's trauma in LA, right. where Rodney King was beaten, where Robert Kennedy was, all these, these levels, but then again, um, playful at the same time and, and working collaboratively with the producers. You know, I remember them wanting to, uh, we're, they came up with an uh, artist, in fact, uh, Samantha, and we were trying to get what uh, young artists would be doing with this team of there's there's about a hundred of us, but a core group working in uh, uh, LA as well as in Georgia, and it was uh, it was a great kind of condition we picture all these ideas to the, the writers and producers they said no 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 I finally got down to why they wanted something like uh, mm. David Hockney which, uh, which is fine I said that's fine but why would Samantha be painting like this uh, British uh, painter and they say this colors the camera True. likes colors so this is collaboration at its best where you you get to understand why people want something and then we propose this idea of these paintings you know, what, what got us all in was uh, we were doing this with Deborah Siegel uh, over and over again. And it comes, it relates to the history of alcohol because uh, we did a poster for the D&D advertising. And at that time we weren't directly working with the writers. And she put it on the set and a person caught it. It's a total proof. And it was based on the vodka ads at the time. I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Absolute Vodka was employing different artists to create ads for it. And this was a little deeper kind of a construction. It was an image of the bombing at the Oklahoma City, uh, or at Oklahoma City at the headquarters. Yeah. the Timothy McVeigh bombing. And the the building was blown out in the shape of a whiskey wow. bottle, which we, we used Photoshop to create this poster so so Deborah put it on the on the set and a producer called it and said
0: what's
3: (laughs) up with this you know and uh, and so I was called in I flew into LA to represent Gala I want to say that Gala is a collective so it's not just my all my work it was conceptually initiated by me but you know we all would trade ideas and I I kind of instead of backing down you know, maybe I needed a stiff drink at that time, John, <laughs> because it was like, I mean, here, here we, we got the whole vice president of spelling production saying, precisely explain yourself, what is up with this, you know? And I kind of said, you know, um, it could be about what it is, and it could be a question, what kills more people, alcoholism mm. or terrorism? It could be about the yeah. history of advertising, and the connection with um, uh, D&D, maybe as an advertising company, and this maybe this absolute thought right. campaign. Or it could be, you know, just uh, this window into the alcoholic that's on the set, which was one of the Courtney Thorne Smith was playing an uh, right. alcoholic yeah. character, I guess. And I say, it could be just about her. So it's all these things. But I say, we can say what you can't say and we can make yeah. art history together. And at that moment, it was, it, she called the the, uh, the writer, the executive producer up on the phone and said, uh, could you meet with uh, Mel Chen? He's here for the gala committee. And and we went to this greater level of relationship with the production uh, where we were able to get scripts in advance and a top secret oh, wow. non-disclosure agreements. So we can begin projecting what we could do, and so it was a a, a beautiful, uh, non-subversive, but a very quiet, covert relationship.
1: No, there's so, it's so interesting. I I I, I, <laughs> uh, I I love this. Yeah, this is one of the most fascinating things to me for on a lot of levels. You know, Melrose Place. I watched it. It was one of the first shows to depict like a queer person that I was aware of, uh, which was yes. sadly kind of yeah. groundbreaking at the time. So it sort of has like an a, a odd emotional resonance for me. And the, having this layer was just so cool to discover. Oh, it was very
3: important. I mean, all the things, we we knew about that. And one of the projects we had for D&D was Billy, I believe his name uh, was the, ac- uh, the actor, uh, Andrew Hsu, was playing Billy. And uh, uh, we developed a campaign Panel very much like a road sign that said Brave New Family. And it was uh, two men in, in a silhouette holding a baby. And he's holding it there. And the actors sometimes are understood that these props had additional meaning, Meaning, you know? So I remember him just, you know, made it. And we were always excited. We'd gather at some pizza <laughs> parlor in, um, in Georgia, in Athens, Georgia, and watch Monday. The show to see if we made wow. it, made camera, you know, with our our, our our pieces, and it was always an exciting moment. You know, we did so many things that didn't, that right. some things right. didn't make it, and some things did. But we're always excited when um, they did. I remember when the, there was a scene when the, uh, 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 the character Courtney Thorn Smith uh, is drinking out of mm. straight out of a bottle, and I, I we felt so great about it, and not. Sorry about our character being such a, um, uh, right. under the influence, but, uh, because of the total proof sign, you know, that we had done. So all these echoes were coming back and forth. So, yeah, uh, it was a, 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 very difficult because we had to do all these props and get them to the, um, the set in time to be
1: filmed. Mm-hmm. So, which was the first, uh, piece to have to, to show up on the show? Was it the Oklahoma City? Oh, I think it might have been um, safety sheets. Is that the one with the
3: condoms on it, or yeah, she, safety sheets were these. Uh, there's a there's a character, this doctor that uh, seemed to be betting down everybody c- he could, and we're right. worried about safe sex issues, right? And uh, so our our team printed out. Mm-hmm. these unrolled condoms, which was against FCC regulations to show oh, wow. an unrolled condom. So we did a pattern of hundreds of them on these sheets that he was uh, twisting around in. So that became part of his bedroom ensemble, you know? So uh, we would do things like that. I mean, I think it's one of the first major ones that really got us excited about the possibilities. Because we, we worked uh, through two seasons. It right. wasn't just like one time. It was not a one-off and develop this uh, relationship of trust with the production staff, with Deborah, uh, as well as eventually with the executive production team. So, um, I think Safety Sheets was one of the first
1: ones. Okay, cool, that was one of the, I definitely mentioned that in the book, it's really fascinating. We're just gonna take a really quick break and I'm going to be back, I have so many more questions for you,
2: uh, just back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
1: Okay, so Mel, I, um, one of the things I find so interesting about um, your project is that it represents this interesting time, I think, in the development of like popular culture and the internet when there was this, you know, now you can go on YouTube and see 20 you know, Easter egg videos for every TV show that comes out. But you know, back you know, back in the '90s, like the internet was around, but it wasn't quite the same level of saturation that we had here. Like, if I was a viewer, if I was just a sort of fan of Melrose Place, how would these these pieces be like? How would it become aware? How I become aware of them? Are they was there a lot of like kind of popular um, like response at the time, or was it something that was more like you know covert? No, like you they're, said. They're,
3: they're... There was not. Uh, we even tried to create a Usenet user group. Oh wow! We create that. We tried uh, because we <laughs> knew it was, the internet was really started kicking in. Yeah. And uh, but we, we we felt that um, you know there's an interesting piece that we did called uh, Think of the reruns, uh, mm. which was a image of a maybe a malaria, a germ. You know, mm. uh, because we were we're thinking that uh, over time it would be syndicated and then, you know, how museum shows are always uh, three months long, perhaps, you know, and that its life, though, would be forever if it was syndicated and playing in different countries. So the idea was to be patient and the Mm. idea is to think more, not like an artist wanting that gratification immediately, or even a fan, I, I got it, you know. It was something that could lay in wait and be discovered. So these Easter ads, as it's properly called, we didn't know what they were called then. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing many of them with the hopes that they could be discovered later. And it was important not to disrupt the general flow of the show. It was to be sympathetic and helpful for the ho- to the host, you see. Yeah. So we were taking different positions that were... Uh, we hope, we hope that would be beneficial. Now, that said, it was like, so we were almost lost to history until uh, a show in 2017, which is like the 20th anniversary of uh, the Gala Committee, oh, uh, wow. uh, was held in New York. And uh, interesting, it was a uh, Red Bull Studios, <laughs> which is a Red Bull drink. That uh, at that time in New York had an art exhibition space, but it was wildly received. You know, New York Times covered it, and, yeah. and uh, so it was a, a reaffirmation of what we had accomplished back then. And to this day, I meet many young artists who point to that project as an inspiration. It doesn't have to be like what they're up to, right. but it was so different. You know, I considered the blueprint. Yeah, I think we now maybe people can look it up. You know, and it's not like we made that many. We made hundreds of objects, and we only only some made camera, as I'll call it.
1: How many would you say of the hundreds? Like-
3: I would say you know maybe fifty pieces or whatever. I don't. I don't. I don't have the numbers. But the but the point of it is... as. It could reverberate, and we were thinking about long-reaching uh, situations that way. It freed us to think about, like, oh, you want Chinese food? Okay, Chinese takeout food in this scene. Well, we'll make one that uh, kind of puts a, a nod to like the the, the protests in Tiananmen Square, mm. something that would say human rights mixed with uh, with uh, propaganda. You know, in order to speak to a whole nother audience later down the line. Someone who could read Chinese. Right. Uh, We even put things in for like, oh, we'll do something for a a physicist. You know, we'd come up with these ideas and run them by the producers and they'd say yes. Um, And it would be like the California cat cat clock, but it would be in a box with a time clicking away, you know, like an LED Mm timepiece, boxing over so you wouldn't see the eyes you yeah. might see the tail moving, but you see the numbers, and it was a, uh, it was like, oh, well, the one physicist that might know about Strodinger's cat could right. get this, you know, <laughs> as a cat, a lot because there was a scene where uh, the character was trying to poison another character, they didn't know if he was uh, dead or alive. Oh it's wow. Like, It was like, things (laughs) would be contextual.
1: I did a Schrodinger's cat art project in high school, so I love that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so if you're into discovering these relationships, it wouldn't be too far. It was being sympathetic to the script. Right. One thing they did that was remarkable, though, at that time, is uh, we broke what they call the fourth wall, you know. Mm -hmm. A fourth wall was, I guess it's from Shakespeare's time. You never uh, relay the the reality behind the fantasy. Right. right. It's like, this is the world you're creating. Melrose Place world. Right. Well, we're able to work it with this trust with the producers that I say, why don't, you know, we, we pitched the idea of them uh, shooting at the museum exhibition a scene at the same time that it would be eventually uh, broadcast. So yeah. people would see it, could see it in LA, the show, and then see Melrose Place and say, <laughs> I was just in the room where they shot the scene, Yeah, you see. And, and, and for them to name the place, like and to, to film it at the Geffen Contemporary Art Center there in uh, MoCA was a, was a big coup, you know, because it was like we were making history in terms of like breaking the fourth wall. Again, if the internet was in at that time, it would have been all crazy. Everybody would have known about it. But we also kind of liked this covert uh, kind of reality. Yeah. Like being quiet about it and maybe future father for cocktail conversation. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that scene at the, at the Geffen, that's, that's when the Heather, Heather Locklear's character takes on the museum as a client. So it's like this recursive moment. Exactly. That was such
3: an important scene because she even, uh, we kind of helped in the script and, uh, uh, while they're talking about the pieces and where she says, you know, why didn't you become a uh, a painter or artist? She says, well, poverty sucks. So there's even social <laughs> commentary I- involved with that. And um, uh, that was a playful thing that the writers and producers really felt trusting of us enough to allow us to manipulate the script and condition someone. And they went all out. I, ca- I can't say that anything was bad with the with the melrose place team and you know Great. we we didn't take any money for it because in the end we uh we wanted that liberal liberty not to be working under someone but working with someone
1: right so they weren't they weren't hiring you to create yeah. pieces for them you were just yeah deploying.
3: yeah we would just do it and present it to them and so it's a mutual education uh because it is a, like this idea of a conceptual project, of, you would think of a conceptual art, you would never think about primetime television as a place for it, no. especially a soap <laughs> opera. But uh, it was absolutely the right place for us. And uh, in the, eventually we created uh, a auction uh, catalog and convinced uh, Beverly Hills Sotheby's to auction off the objects that we created to give to charities in Georgia and Los Angeles, educational charities. And um, I think a a team of collectors or a group of collectors from Germany who were really into it bought most of the work. I mean, I don't think, I think it was ahead of its time. I don't even think that, oh well, uh, the museums in LA were there to even buy anything, Wow! you know? It was like, it was like unprecedented. And also I, 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 it was not a piece of Mel Chin that you would get. It would be a piece by the gala committee. Because mm-hmm. sometimes a young person in the team could come up with a beautiful idea. We present it to the producers. And if I had to help make it, I would make it for them. You know, it was, uh, it was a way of really being collective. It was difficult. It was very high pressure. But um, we, I think it was one of the more successful relationships that I've had with the whole group. Uh, from the Art end and then from the production end, it was fun, it was fun, yeah, and hell at the same time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a great combination um, yeah, what uh, maybe you've already listed it, but what was your what was your favorite piece to um, to show up on the show?
3: I kind of mentioned a couple of favorites, I think the total proof, which was uh, by chance, and then it introduced and then. This whole kind of interaction of breaking the fourth wall, and the remarkable uh, relationship with the production team, was was great. You know, yeah. so uh, I think it's a overall. It's a concept. It's overall that is important. Right.
1: You know, and so. since then, have you done similar work or kind of a you know based? No, no, I have not. Mm. I I don't.
3: Um, there is works that I do. Um, as an artist, you know, that, again, I'm within the art world, so you're selling to museums and right. and stuff like that. But uh, it's similar and not similar was a big project that was 15 years long tackling childhood lead poisoning wow. that began in New Orleans after, after Katrina and ended up being a, um, uh, a project that spanned the entire country. As, uh, here you have... Um, Melrose Place was broadcast all over the country and the world, but this project we had to go everywhere in the United States to pick up uh, these drawings by children of uh, of hundred dollar bills, and we collected about half a million of them, and it gave us access access to their legislators to present their problem and their their, their ordeal that they're going through in their cities and states that uh, we're a part of. That project you can find, you know, it's. It's like fundred.org, mm-hmm. um, and it's like 100 with an F, yeah. you know, so. But it, but it is, again, a collective activity. It's not about my work. It's about a concept that is delivered by the work of others right. and respected. The whole collection of drawings is now at the Brooklyn Museum of Art. It was yeah. gifted to them, and it can continue to do its work. So, in a way, it's like, like uh, In the Name of the Place, because it continues to have impact and reverberate over time. Right. You see. And maybe if you don't have to do anything like it, but you can have maybe a blueprint of inserting within your own social structure or your society um, um, ideas that help ideas survive, you know. I think you're doing it, John. You're creating drinks. People can uh, can <laughs> <Thank> get <you. laughs> loosened up a little bit and be part of a structure that's so necessary. I think you're essential at this time because I, I just read that the FDA is worried about loneliness and social Yes, I just
1: read that too, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I you know, the cocktail art, this whole idea is uh, is something uh, against the field of artists. We always would have our drinks and beer and whatever, more and, and think about ideas and socialize. Right. And we, we think, I think we need more of that. So I'm not putting a pitch in for you. I'm just making <laughs> an obvious fact. What you're doing is important. Thank
1: you. Huh? I appreciate that. Well, it's sort of a pitch. Maybe it is sort of a Soft pitch. It's pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, are you, what are you, are you working on anything right now that you want to talk about or? Um... Well, um
3: no, I can't talk about it okay. too much until it starts. You know, the, the, you know I still maintain this... Uh, I, I do art about things, and mm-hmm. uh, but it is something that will be part of a Pacific Standard Time, an international exhibition back in L.A. So I'll be back in L.A. for an international uh, show that uh, I'll be happy to be part of it. So that's coming up next year. But cool. in, the, in the meantime, there's just always exhibitions and... Uh, so I don't have to convey too much of my personal propaganda on your show.
1: Understood. So
3: Understood. You could find it. Yeah. You can look me up and there's enough of me. Wonderful. But you could always call me if if you have a suspicion that something is incorrect. Okay.
1: I will. <laughs> I yeah. will. Well thank you. This has been really fascinating to, to get um. To get the story straight from your mouth. I, I'm actually a little relieved I got everything right um, in the book, <laughs> I think. Um, well, you did. So I'm glad to have this retroactive fact check done. Um, but thank yeah. you so much for, for joining me, and I really appreciate your time.
3: Yes, and thank you for asking. And sure. uh, I'm glad. Uh, I look forward to mixing up more than just D&D. Saved
1: by the Bellini is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Oh yeah, here we go. Yeah. Give a slide into my NPR ASMR code switching. <laughs>